And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, praise team, and what a great worship service. I want you to take your Bibles and go into the Old Testament and turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. The, we're beginning a new series. The series is titled Turbulence, and I'll explain a little bit more uh, as we move along. The title of the message today is Getting Your Life in Order, and it's a part one. Isaiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. He was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die and you will not recover. Now, let's, let me read that again. Put your house in order. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. Verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 50 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city let's pray again Lord we thank you we love you we give you all the glory and honor Lord the only way we can get these houses of ours in order is when the firm foundation of Jesus Christ has been firmly built I Psalm 127 except the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain that build it. So, Lord, we pray right now as we begin this new series that, God, you'll help us to get our lives, get our health, get our finances, get our life, get our home, get our families, our marriage, our children, grandchildren, our nation, our community. Help us to get it in order. But it can only come as we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I, I've titled this mess or this series Turbulence. And if anybody has ever flown before, you know what that word means, don't you? Sheila's smiling and laughing because usually if you're on an airplane there'll come a point to where the pilot will interrupt the normal activity. He's either been reading his radar, he's gotten word from the tower, or he's beginning to experience some of it himself. But usually, he's able to forewarn the airplane that there's turbulence ahead. Now, for anybody that's ever flown before, you don't fly very long before you come into turbulence. And turbulence can be minor or it can be major. I've been on planes 
where turbulence, where you were dropping, like let's say 500 feet in a matter of seconds. And buddy, believe you me, you're getting your house in order. You're, you're thinking you're getting ready to meet, meet Jesus. But a pilot will come on the plane. He will say we are getting ready to experience some turbulence. He alerts the crew. He tells the flight attendants and the passengers to begin to stow away everything, to buckle their seat belts, to secure the belts of their children, and to get ready. He usually can project about when it's going to happen, how severe it will be, and more than anything, he is trying to make you aware. Now, a lot of times what happens if you get on an airplane, this, the flight attendant will get up there, and she'll do her what we call a little dog and pony show. She'll talk to you about the oxygen mask dropping down out of the compartment above you. She'll talk about your seatbelt, how to put it on, and she'll give you information that you hope you don't need, right? Well, you know, I think sometimes that's a pastor. I think that's a church. Sometimes you and I, we see the signs. We recognize that there is turbulence ahead. Look, at, look this way. There is turbulence ahead in our world. According to numerous gifted, academically gifted, qualified, experienced economists, people who spend their life in that area, they are projecting that we as a nation, as a world, are on the brink of a storm and one like we've never had before. My grandmother was born in 1902. My dad was born October 1929. He was born the year of the Great Depression, what we call the Crash, capital C, when the economy of the United States collapsed and affected the entire world. I've sat a lot of times and listened to my grandmother. You've heard me talk about her. She was bent over double. Hands were twisted, her arms. She was crippled with, with arthritis. But she would tell what it was like during the Great Depression. Uh, she would talk about all of a sudden the currency, the value of the dollar not being worth anything. She talked about the scarcity of being able to get even the basic necessities to be able to live life. She talked about unemployment that skyrocketed in a matter of a, of a day or two days. Unemployment went to nearly 30% of the entire population of this country. She talked about not only how goods became scarce, she talked about rationing where vouchers were given and you were given a certain ability to buy a certain amount. And, and she talked about that and I would listen, I would hang on to her because I, I love history. It was like listening to history. It's fascinated. A man by the name of Sam Zell Speaking in the Bloomberg Report stated, he said, in the last four years, post-COVID, seven to eight trillion dollars of accumulated debt has been accrued. He continues, 
He said Congress, which once appropriated in billions of dollars, now does so in trillions of dollars. Anybody that watches Shark Tank knows Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful, in a recent interview, was asked about inflation, projections of unemployment, and the possibility of a recession that could be global. He laughed and said, what do you expect when you take seven to eight trillion dollars and throw it into our economy? It's frivolous. Poor management by Washington. Jim Rogers, an economist, an expert in China, speaking to Adam Taggart in a, in a, in a um, program called Wealthian. He said most economists in the world and in this country have no respect for Washington, D.C. whatsoever. Because Washington is putting us in a debt that we cannot possibly repay. This is the equivalent of your pastor making some frivolous financial decision and putting this church in a, in a level of debt that it cannot in any way possible repay. L. Arian, who was speaking to Fortune.com, said this. He said, the world isn't just teetering on the brink of another recession. It is in the midst of a profound economic and financial shift globally. World Economic Forum said this, 70% of the top 50 economists in the world believe that we are heading toward a global recession. Listen, and the only silver lining is the possibility of digital currency being adopted by the world. If it couldn't get much worse, it is. I'm telling you, there's turbulence ahead. The United States, the U.S. dollar, is the reserve currency of the world. This status gives the United States flexibility. It gives us privilege, but we're on the verge of possibly losing it. Today, it is the currency used to conduct international trade, financial transactions, eliminating the cost of settling transactions involving different currencies. In other words, the U.S. currency is the reserve currency of the world. The world operates in the U.S. dollar. Central banks, and you may say, well, what are central banks? Have you ever heard the word the Fed? The Fed is basically a banking cartel. The Federal Reserve. Central banks are the financial institutions in a country. Every country has a central bank or group of countries. They're given the responsibility of the control of the production and the distribution of money. They also determine credit, interest rates on loans, on bonds, not only for a nation, but for a group of nations. They, central banks, or in our case, the Feds, our Federal Reserve, raise interest rates to slow growth and avoid inflation. That's what's happening in America right now. 
prices are going up, scarcity, even in a place like Walmart, you're seeing empty shelves. Talk to a man the other day. I made the statement in our Thursday meal that I could not buy T-shirts. I couldn't find T-shirts to give the homeless. An African-American gentleman who was here looked at me and said, you think that's something? He said, I'm from Yazoo City. He said, Walmart, many of the shelves are empty. It's not a matter of empty shelves. It's a matter of inflation and consumer goods going up, and you're filling it. The feds have the ability to raise interest rates in order to, if you raise the interest rates, you slow down growth, and, but you avoid inflation. It brings inflation down. They can lower interest rates, which is what we've been living. We've been living in a bubble, 0% interest rates which gives the ability of spurring growth, starting businesses, buying homes. But you well know as well as I do that that's beginning to end. Central banks regulate all banks within a country. They determine central banks. The central banks or central bank in a country regulates all other banks within that country. How much they can lend, how much cash they have on hand, how they can guarantee the depositors who are holding money in that place. Central banks can lend to banks, institutions, and even governments. The U.S. Federal Reserve, the Fed, increases or decreases the supply of money. In Japan right now, those that are running the financial market of Japan are printing currency and said there's no end to it. They're just printing currency. There's a storm brewing. There's turbulence ahead economically. The danger is even with the United States Federal Reserve, our Fed, is the problem is, is it's putting too much money into the coffer. The danger is, is that we pump too much money into an economy and thereby we prop up a potential problem. Let me explain it this way. When Sheila and I and our family went to Zimbabwe, country in Africa, southern Africa, the U.S. dollar was even to the Zimbabwe dollar. In other words, if you went to the bank to exchange money, you gave a U.S. dollar, they gave you a dollar back. But they had a Marxist, communist, wicked leader, a man by the name of Robert Mugabe. Robert Mugabe began to bleed that country dry, selling off their natural resources, abusing the people. That dollar, by the time we got there, it, you could take one U.S. dollar, they would give you five Zim dollars. By the time we left, you gave them one U.S. dollar, they gave you eight Zim dollars. When I went back with Ledge and some of the team that went from here, there was a point to where <clears throat> they had a million dollar bill that was worth absolutely nothing. Zimbabwe today now trades on the black market of the U.S. dollar. Just how quickly a currency can be devalued and not be worth anything. There's a storm brewing. There's turbulence. You don't think it can happen? The British pound was the currency of the world. 
1976, the United Kingdom went bankrupt. The reality is, is that we sit at a very critical time, and you and I have to remember something. You, we and I, you and I, we've been warned. You're being warned right now. Let me tell you this. If you got a job, you better hang on to it. You better be on your best behavior. You better value that job. You better work hard. If you've got benefits, you better hang on to them. Young people, if you're in school, you better quit clowning around. You better get serious. You better get your education. You better get a vocational skill because the present economic situation is dire. It is serious. Economists all over the world are telling us this. There's turbulence. It's a storm brewing. And you and I have to understand something. When the Fed lowers the discount rate, interest rates for banks or financial institutions, and basically what they're doing is they're making our, 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 um, our, our economy more liquid. It's, it, it's a, it can be a good thing. But the reality is, is that things are changing now. Sam Zill made this statement. He went on to say this in this interview that I was quoting a moment ago. He said, it is not so much, listen to this, that our currency, the U.S. dollar, is not good, but that other currencies around the world are in a crisis. In other words, they're saying we're seeing a phenomenon in the world's economy that we've never seen before. Now you may say, well, why say all this? Because this sermon is getting your life, getting your home, getting your family, getting your finances, getting your business in order because it is critical. We're facing a very uncertain future and we may be facing a crisis. China today is stockpiling, stockpiling gold. Russia today is stockpiling gold. Russia and China stockpiling gold. Why? Because our currency is what we call fiat. It just simply means that it's a piece of paper that is backed by the United States government. Before, years ago, we worked on the gold standard, which meant that when we produced currency, money, it was backed by gold. It was backed by precious metals. Now it's backed by a government that's horribly in debt. China, Russia are beginning to set aside. They're beginning to accumulate gold like never before in an attempt possibly to make their currency the currency of the world. We're living in a time like we've never lived before. An old man, that old man, Jim Rogers, I believe, in, in China, as he was in this interview, a wealthy on interview, he made this statement. He said, I've never seen, he's an old man. He said, I've never seen a time like we are getting ready to face right now. It's turbulence. It's an organization called BRICS. It's an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Let me read those names again and hear what I'm saying. They, they're, they're, the acronym is BRICS. Brazil, China, India, um, South Africa, 
Saudi Arabia is thinking of coming in to that group who are basically saying we will trade in outside of the U.S. dollar. In other words, countries like Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and possibly Saudi Arabia had the ability to trade or begin to develop trade within themselves and thereby it puts us in a very precarious situation. And you may say, why are you telling us all this? Just think of me as telling you this. There may be turbulence ahead. You may need to buckle your seatbelt. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter to me whether you believe me or not. But I can tell you this much, we got an enemy. So let me leave you with some things to think about today. Number one, let me, number one, let me give you a word. The word is mammon. The word mammon is used in the Bible is not simply about material riches. It is a reference to riches or the corrupting influence of riches or greed. Jesus talked about it in, in the Sermon on the Mount. So take a right. Now we're going to come back to Isaiah 38 in time. But I want you to take a right. Go over to Matthew chapter 6. Real quickly, I want you to see this. Matthew, stay with me. It'll be worth it. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure where? In heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you hear that? Now look down at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now watch what Jesus said. You cannot serve both God and what? Your enemy, Satan, knows that you and I live our life based on the dollar. Based on finances. Our world operates that way. Let me take you a little bit farther. Look, go over and take a right and look at Luke 16. Let me tell you something. You got a Bible, or you get a Bible somewhere near you. And you look, because you need to see this. But in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, watch what Jesus said here. He said, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. The Pharisees who loved what? Verse 14, you see it? The Pharisees who loved what? What do they love? Say it out loud. They love money. Heard all this and were doing what? They were sneering at Jesus. They said to them, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in the eyes of God. Why is money talked about so much? Why did Jesus actually use the word mammon for Satan himself? Because that's our enemy. Let me get you. Take a left. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Now, this is critical. You don't hear anything else here, this. In Luke chapter 4, this is the temptation of Jesus Christ. 
Now you remember verse 3, the devil said, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. But look at verse 5. The devil led Jesus up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And now watch this. This is critical. He said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and their splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Now I want you to stop there. Look this way. Jesus never says, Satan, you're wrong. Jesus knew exactly what Satan was saying. Satan was saying since sin came into this world, this world system governed by mammon, governed by money, governed by greed and materialism, this is my world. Satan said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give it all to you. Because listen, it is mine to give. That fallen world system that I've been talking to you about. It's critical that we see this. Why? Look at Proverbs 22.7. Take a left. Go back into the Old Testament. Back over in the middle. Look at Proverbs 22, chapter 7, because this is what the devil knows. This is the devil's favorite verse. Proverbs 22.7. He loves this verse. Satan loves it. The rich rule over the poor, and here it is. Do you see it? And the borrower is what? He is servant to the lender. We are in a nation that is frivolous, materialistic, and selfish and greedy. We have a Congress that is absolutely, totally out of control. And since post-COVID has destroyed the economy of this nation and possibly the entire world, and there's no end to it. We are in debt beyond our ability to pay. Not just us, but the world. And most people, I want everybody to listen, most people are like the car that I was behind. I got behind a woman who exited off, heading back, getting ready to go up onto the interstate. And you know what she did? She rolled down her window, threw a whole bag of garbage out. Man, it burnt me up. I gunned it trying to catch them. We're racing down Belvedere. And she whipped off and turned. And Sheila made this statement. She said, I hope she's not going to our church. Because I think Sheila was saying, because you're going to have to face her. And I thought, no, she's going to have to face me. Because this city in Hines County, this city is in the mess that it's in because of that kind of behavior. Selfish, narcissistic, greedy. Everybody wanting their cut of the pie when there ain't no pie left anymore. And we can quote some of the greats of the past, but my friend Martin Luther King Jr., John F. Kennedy are turning over their grave to see the narcissistic, selfish American today. Ask not what you can do for your country, but what your country can do for you is far receded into the mindset of most Americans today. We look to see the government to bail us out, and the government is putting us in debt and generations yet to be born in a debt they'll never be able to handle. And for the average American today, they don't care. 
Everybody's out to make their part. And you may say, why is that important? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 13. If Satan knows that the borrower is a slave to the lender, then he also knows this. Look at Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, you've heard me quote this before, beginning down there at verse 16. This is the end time. For many of us, we believe this is after the rapture of the church. Many people today are living. Hey, listen, the man, the economist in China was sitting in a place where a, where a woman was behind him. You can see her moving back and forth. And he kept quoting the Bible. I thought, boy, that's refreshing. But in Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist is now in a position of authority. Now you have one world government that is controlled by Satan's Messiah. Watch this. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom if anyone has insight. Let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. The Bible tells us over and over again that there'll come a point in the history of this world when the entire world will be under a single government led by a single individual. And that, my friend, will be the enemy, Satan. Let me tell you, when was the last time man tried to get up their own little unity, bringing everybody under one rule, under one government? It was called the Tower of Babel. This system's controlled by Satan, a one-world government. You heard of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, altcoin? You've heard of digital currency? The Federal Reserve right now is considering what they call the Fed coin, digital currency, Bitcoin. In 2009, Bitcoin was worth, one Bitcoin was worth nothing. In a year and a half, it went to one U.S. dollar. I checked Bitcoin last night. Last night, its value is $16,478.20. And you may say, well, what's it matter whether we go to digital currency? Because digital currency can be controlled, it can be monitored, and it can be checked. Which is exactly what Revelation 13 says. You will not be able to buy, sell, carry on commerce unless you do it in the way of a one-world government led by a single leader. You may say, Brother Jeff, do you believe we're living in the last days? I don't know. But I can tell you this much, there is turbulence ahead. In all of it, when you, look at the, when you look at the creation of COVID, the questions about Wuhan lab there in China, which China right now is under a lockdown, they've been under a Marxist government bringing a level of trying to stop COVID once again. They're handling it in a way very contrary to what we're doing right now. And let me tell you something, let me say something here. Leading doctors are saying now 
the vaccine did not do anything. Ultimately, Omicron, a, 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 an alternate, a spinoff of COVID, equipped your immune system to handle COVID. God always has an answer. He loves you. He's watching out for you. I listened to a British doctor last night talking about the power and the impact of the Omicron variant on, the, uh, on your immune system and what it's done and how it's equipped you to fight against COVID. Well, we had a government that threatened to literally almost exterminate us if we didn't come under their role in the area of the vaccination. And you may say, Brother Jeff, why are you telling us this? Because in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, Paul said you, he talked about the rapture, being called up together with Christ in the air. He talked about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, he said, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, the Bible says before many of these events take place that Jesus Christ is going to call us home. The trump of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive, Paul said, will be called up raptured, taken up into the heavens. And those family members that you wept and cried over that have gone on ahead of you, they're busy. Billy Graham was asked the question, do you believe we're living in the last days? Billy looked, I think it was Katie Couric. He said, we are. Billy Graham, who gave up his wife, Ruth Bell Graham, who told Billy one time, we're all a work in progress. It's good to know Billy and Ruth are up in heaven right now, and they're getting everything ready. And Paul said, listen, there's going to be a moment, an event where we're going to be called up. And Paul said, it's not going to take you. He said, it'll take a lost world like a thief, but not you and I. Anybody who studies eschatology in time, apocalyptic material in the Bible... I want you to listen, says this, the United States is not in any reference. It's never referenced in the Bible when it comes to end time. And the big question is, where is the United States in battles such as Armageddon? Europe today? Europe today is in a crisis. In fact, if you want to take a cheap vacation, your dollar's worth now against the euro more than it's ever been. The euro's in danger. Great Britain's in danger. We are sitting at possibly a global recession. I thought to myself, it could be a chaos event like that that Satan seizes the power that he needs. You see, all the props are being put in place. You may say, why these nations? China, Russia, Marxist, communist, nations whose political ideology is not only atheistic, they've created a new term, anti-theistic, against God. Eric Metaxas in his book, Letters to the American Church, said this. He said, socialistic and communistic ideas are being pushed everywhere. These will end up harming the poor more than anyone. That's what they're saying. A global recession will affect the poor of the world more than any group of people. Although those pushing the ideas boldly spread the lie that any who oppose these wicked ideas secretly hate the poor. 
There are powers that be that are working in this country that are doing everything they can to take it apart. When I was in, and I'm, I may get in trouble with this, so be it. When I was walking through the capitals, one capital after another, you didn't have to tell me what would happen in St. Paul, Minneapolis to an African-American who would have somebody on his neck until he died. Because when I went to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and I started to walk around that capital, I walked up to it, and all of a sudden, God is my witness. A black mysterious cloud began to swirl around there and I thought to myself I'm not going to be able to walk around this cloud. there's a storm brewing the storm wasn't brewing it was brewing over that seat of government and I knew then God had me there praying walking around that capital praying crying out when I was in Dover Delaware I felt like I was in South Jackson it was such a heaviness I didn't know that the President of the United States would come from the room and the building that I was walking around Joe Biden. There's a storm brewing. A woman looked at me in Alaska when I was in Juneau, Alaska, walking around the Capitol. She looked at me, the pastor's wife in First Baptist Juneau. She said, you're the fourth person to do this. She looked almost as if she were afraid. What is God saying? I'll close with an illustration. The Eskimos. The Eskimos do something that's cruel, inhumane. The Eskimos will take a knife, a sharp knife, just sharp as a razor, hunting knife, and they'll dip it in blood, the blood of an animal, and they'll let it freeze. They'll dip it in blood again. They'll let it freeze, layer after layer of frozen blood on that knife. Then they'll go up and they'll take the, they'll go out in that, that snow when it's soft in the day and they'll push that handle down in with that blade sticking up. And that snow will begin to freeze around that handle. And there's that blade, frozen blood, layer upon layer. A wolf comes along and a wolf sees that blood, smells that blood, and begins to lick that knife. And as that wolf is licking that knife, that, that blood begins to melt, but that wolf doesn't realize that that blood that that wolf is consuming is not only the melting frozen blood of an animal on that knife, it is his own blood. And that wolf eventually will bleed to death, licking a knife and dying in his own blood. Won't you listen to me? Don't you listen to me? We've experienced COVID. Now we're looking at a global recession. It's as if somebody's stacking dominoes and knocking them over. As if all of a sudden the entire world is that, do you, you don't know this, but we came close in this Ukraine situation in the last few weeks of being pulled into a major mega war on a lie. We don't know who to trust anymore. But we can trust in the Lord. Because He's always sovereign. But I can tell you this much, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, you couldn't pay me to walk out of this room. 
If you've never given your life to Christ and you're sitting here and you know right now that people would wrap their arms around you and receive you into the fellowship of this church, want you to be saved, following baptism, and you don't want to do that because of pride, my friend, you don't know the turbulence, the storm that may be coming. Some of you sitting at home, you watch on live stream. You're too lazy to get up and go to church. Some of you, you've quit a long time ago. You're just basically just one more consumer consuming this. There's a storm brewing. There's turbulence on the horizon. And it's time for you and I not only to get our life right with Christ, it's time for you and I to get our homes in order in every way. I want you to stand heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. I want to ask you a question this morning with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Let me ask you something. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not looking for hands. God is. But if you're here today and you know for certain that if something were to happen to you, you know for certain... I'm going to heaven. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm saved. There's no doubt in my mind. I know. I know that. Would you right now in your heart just with a loud amen. Lord, I know that. know that. If you're here today and you say, you know, Brother Jeff, I don't know that. And this kind of talk scares me. And I want you to know something that God loves you and He's sovereign and He's in control. And in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came into this world. That's what Christmas is about. It is about the Creator of the universe reconciling a lost world to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is the only lawyer you can have when you stand before the judge of the universe of all creation. And he'll either look at you and know you, or he'll look at you and say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Christ loves you. And if you're here today and you don't know whether you're saved or not, you come. Thursday, we had a, we had a room full of people, men and women, homeless, that had been brought in, many of them, possibly without Christ. I watched Russell. I watched Russell. This man that came out of the hood. This man, Christ, is doing a work in his life. I watched him weep and beg, 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 beg the men and women out from under the bridges, taken out of the shelters. Men and women gripped by alcohol and drugs and pornography, gripped in addiction. I watched him weep and beg them to give their life to Christ. And I thought to myself, that is a sign. I have never seen him behave like that. That is a sign that Christ is getting ready to come. Some of you parents in this room, it is time to get your marriage, get your parenting, get your finances, and get your life in order. Some of you need to quit griping and complaining about your job, your money, your car, your home, and your stuff. And you need to step back and say, God, you've blessed me in so many ways. My dad used to say this. I'd get kind of, we'd get kind of acting bad and disrespectful. You know what? My dad looked this way. You know what he'd say? 
He'd say, son, I'm, giving, I'm getting ready to give you something to cry about. God may, you know, Amy, my daughter, and I'll say this and then we'll close. Amy, my daughter, who her husband pastors a church down around, uh, down in South Mississippi. She was talking about how hard the work is. And then we got to talking about all this, and I was talking about all this, and finally she almost, she almost had a shudder. She she's a dentist doing pediatric dentistry down in Natchez, and she was on her way to work, and she said, Dad, that scares me. And I said, but what if it filled our churches? What if God were to grip this nation and grip this world? What if all of a sudden we were struggling together? And what if all of a sudden there was no crime in this city? No crime. All of a sudden people were filling every corner of this church wanting to hear the gospel, wanting to be saved. My friend, never forget God is sovereign and He's in control. Not China, not Russia, not BRICS, and not any currency. And not the Fed, and not any central bank. You serve a, you serve a sovereign God. And Jesus Christ loves you, and He gave His life for you, and He wants you to be saved. And if you don't know Him, this is a good day to know Him. And if you're sitting here and you quit sharing your faith with other people, shame on you. Shame on you. Where you work, where you live, where everything about your life is about spreading and expanding the kingdom of God. So one thing you can do. Angels, the Bible said, envy us. You come. You come. You may just want to come and pray at this altar and say, God, what does it mean? for me and my family to get our home in order. God, begin to show me what you'd have me to do. You come. You come. Lord, we pray and we give this invitation to you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come. If you don't know Christ, step out. Come today. Come today. Come to the altar. Pray. If you're a parent, pray. May never be a moment like this moment.